It's time for Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Banded together from remote galaxies are two of the most sinister podcasters of all time, the Legion of Dork. I'm Micah. I'm Matsy. On this Legion of Dork, we're going to watch some cartoons. We gave each other some assignments last week, and now we're going to discuss what we assigned. We got a kid theme this time, mm-hmm. by complete coincidence, where uh, Micah watched Muppet Babies, and I watched something called The Mighty Bee. And we're going to talk about those, but first, let's see what else we need to talk about. Micah, what's weighing on your conscience this week? Uh, on your recommendation... I tried out Luck Be a Landlord. Oh, the video game. Yeah. I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast. No, you didn't. It was was beforehand. But anyway, I'm I'm trying it out. Well, this will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Luck Be a Landlord is sort of in the deck builder genre. Uh, You are somebody whose income is based around a slot machine. And you have (laughs) to make rent each each month, I guess. Um, However, you can populate the symbols on the slot machine and they have more complex sort of card game like interactions. Um, so for example, if a monkey uh, results next to a banana, you get more points and the banana is then replaced by banana peel. <laughs> but uh, you can add a thief to your slot machine. And if he's next to the banana peel, he, he slips up eliminating both him and the banana peel and returning your investment or retur- returning multiple on whatever he stole. So, yeah, yeah, you've got interactions like that to consider in there. Um, I I wasn't sure at first if I wanted to, because, you know, it's a slot machine, so your decisions are lesser. Yeah. But that luck ends up just kind of being the luck of the draw on uh, a deck builder. You know, when yeah, you- exactly. Yeah. It's sort of like um, those games that just hurry through combat in like an RPG <laughs> to to yeah. put you on a fast track to playing an RPG. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of like another one you recommended that I, I was maybe interested in. It was uh, uh, Loop Knight, I think it was called. Oh, uh, Loop Hero. Loop Hero, yeah. Where, right. Where all of the combat and stuff is automated because... yeah. I guess rightly, it's not. They figured that's not the most interesting part of the game. It's the character building decisions, and I guess same thing here with Luck Be a Landlord. Yeah, it's a. I've found it to be a nice little game that I can just put on in a little window hmm. while I'm doing something else or waiting for something, and just kind of tap through it. I was playing it earlier tonight, actually, just before we uh, started recording. Hmm. Uh, I had a tremendous one where I I got a rare slot symbol called the Midas bomb. Yeah. Fun. Which yeah. Like destroys itself and everything around it and gives you like multiple times their value. I got, Oh, I I think that one thing gave me something like 500 coins. Mm. It was up over a thousand for the first time ever. I ended up losing the run, but, um, yeah, it's a it's a fun little thing to just I'm not very good at deck builders in general. Mm. You are. Oh, yes. The, in this case, I uh, played the first one. I didn't realize that I changed a floor after I beat it the first time. Mm-hmm. And so then I think I lost one and then I came back in and I started just going endless. Right. I figured, OK, let's <laughs> let's let's go that way. And I built something 
the endless mode has a mistake in it. I feel that each month your rent goes up. <laughs> you're, right. you're in a very unregulated unre country, I guess. Um, <laughs> But at a certain point, the rent goes up by a steady amount. I think it's 5000 and it doesn't increase beyond that point. Okay. And the problem was is that my strategy was exponential, <laughs> un un <laughs> unlike their... So, so I was outpacing it, and I was, you know, just inventing new, uh, new goals. Like, I wanted to get all of the items, <laughs> and I did, right? The only ones that were showing up eventually were the ones you can get multiples of. Um, yeah, and I... I broke a billion dollars. <laughs> so, yeah, I felt like, oh, well, you know, that was, I guess that was $12 well spent. I mean, it was, I had fun and I've already broken the game. <laughs> but then going back in, there's several floors of challenge and, you know, lots of different things to discover. So, mm -hmm. and that was kind of a fluke. I think <laughs> that I, I guess a lot of these kind of games work that way where they're ultra hard. But when you have those runs where you, uh, I, I was streaming this actually to my girlfriend earlier. Uh, and I was thinking that if I were to stream this, maybe I'd abandon runs where I just figure like, I have this one, I, I can't lose it. So let's start another one. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, that's so yeah, I'm doing that. That's fun. Um, yeah, it's a neat little game. It's in early access. It's not done yet. No, um, it has a countdown on the title screen showing you when the next um, update will be. I believe right now it's at 16 days. Well, so, yeah, I was watching a YouTuber who, uh, well, a Twitch streamer, really, he puts his stuff on YouTube as well. And he was, right. uh, he gets the most views, he said, by doing uh, Luck Be a Landlord. And <laughs> and he's, you know, it's like on rote. He's just super fast, right? <laughs> it's pretty funny. We're having a laugh earlier about how he, uh, <laughs> he the vernacular of him playing it, like, uh, oh, cheese first pick. You love to see that. You love to see cheese first pick. <laughs> <laughs> so oh man let's see uh a tabletop game i there's lost ruins of arnak mm -hmm. i've played it once and i think you've played it as well it's it's a weird one and i've kind of been wanting to have another stab at it you're kind of like pulpy uh, ruin explorers you know like indiana mm -hmm. jones kind of uh All right and it's a hybrid of a deck builder and a worker placement. So your decks are the your deck has resources that you use to generate tokens. Uh, like there's a compass. Um, and uh, uh, they have like on the on the, the card proper they have uh, your resources that you accrue, or you alternately can use in the corner the method of transportation they offer. Mm -hmm. So you're like going to encampments in order to explore ruins. And it's also a point salad game where you have various ways to do it. And in the game that I played, uh, I bought a revolver card for my deck early on. And then I just mm -hmm. made my game against about going to ruins and blasting through beasts. But, <laughs> but, you know, a game that offers that many kind of different avenues I like because it's uh, there's a lot to explore. Different experience, but mm -hmm. so I know it's a. a Apart from some gaming, actually, that was two weeks ago that I played that, but um, uh, I started Star vs. the Forces of Evil Season 4. Uh-huh. More focused than prior ones, at least so far. Yeah, it's got a definite... In the in the first few seasons, there was this sense that nobody knew what was going on. Right. But in this one, everyone knows exactly what's going on. Eclipsa is the new queen. 
and she wants to reconcile humans or mumans, I guess they are, and monsters. And mumans are uh, divided on whether they like that idea or not. Hmm. You know, I guess it, I, I'm not not having fun. I mean, <laughs> there's some really funny sight gags so far. So mm-hmm. I'm not really sure the prior season made it clear that Eclipsa was now ruling, though. Well, so it's, um, it's like a development off season, I guess. Well, I view it as Star at the end of the last episode of season three. You know, Eclipsa tried to give Star back the wand. Yeah. And because it was established that the family line had been messed up, like right. a, a substitute member of the family had been swapped in, like mm. the actual the actual royal lineage had been broken. And so Star told Eclipsa to keep the wand because really like she was the legitimate ruler of Muni. Yeah. I just took that as literally keep the wand, not as a symbol, but yeah, I don't know. But also like her mom is gone. Right. Right. <laughs> and for the ultimate rub, uh, in, in her, uh, her mom's appearances at the end of season three, no proper nude scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's got like, overflowing hair right so she's oh right yeah, yeah. she's when she's <laughs> i forgot about that right right um anyway it's good stuff I, i've had kind of a thin week so i i, I and i've been a, a total uh flake too <laughs> I, I missed a birthday party on friday that i just forgot uh mm. and today i was late to uh like a follow-up at the dentist so oh great yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> How about you, more organized person? What have you been doing? Oh, let's see. What have I been doing? Um, I watched all of Steven Universe. Right, right. And I mean, like, the rest of it. Oh! Well, you're, yeah, ahead, so you're ahead of me, then. I am? Well, I haven't watched um, uh, Future. I oh. just watched the movie. Interesting. Okay, well, then I will have to temper what I say. Right. Um, Okay, let me give a brief, you know, one of our little quick movie reviews Mm. of the movie. Okay. So Steven Universe, as we've established in the past, is about a uh, adolescent boy who is basically the reincarnation of his own mother, who is a gemstone alien, uh, who is a member of a team of gemstone-themed superheroes, along with Garnet, Amethyst, and Pearl, who have been protecting the Earth from monsters and invasions of the gem race. Huh. And you the this hmm? You know, I hadn't thought about it, but they are actually the gems, and their bodies are projections from the gems. Yeah. Uh, in a way, they're like the hard light rimmer from Red Dwarf. Kind of. There's an episode in Steven Universe where the conspiracy theorist Ronaldo, he develops this theory that the world is being run by polymorphic sentient rock people. Mm -hmm. And in, in, you know, the follow up episodes to that, like Steven is like, they're not running the world. And like, like Ronaldo doesn't think he's describing the crystal gems. Right. And then Steven has to explain, like, no, they, they shapeshift. They are sentient gems. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, Um. So that was kind of that. Um. It was Steven, you know, they're fighting off monsters. It's Steven reconciling his mother's past, his learning his mother's powers. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the movie takes place two years after the events of the show, where Stephen is now 16. He has a perfect, well, not perfect, but he has a very good grasp of his powers. They're, the threat has been eliminated or resolved. Everything is super peaceful and fine. Until an old friend of his mother's appears. Now, the gems, the various different gems have different roles in gem society. For example, pearls are servants and amethysts are soldiers. Hmm. And this new visitor is Spinel. And Spinels are cloying best friend companions. Hmm. And Spinel, this Spinel, was Stephen's mother's um, best friend, playmate, companion, who was abandoned 6,000 years ago, and upon learning of Stephen's existence, is now driven into a jealous rage at having been left and forgotten and replaced with a bunch of new friends. Mm -hmm. And so she deploys a doomsday device and uses a weapon that wipes the crystal gems and herself back to a default memoryless newborn gem state. He, she also hits Steven with this weapon, which resets all his gem powers back to almost unusability, basically mm. back to where he was at the beginning of the show. And so the movie is them trying to rebuild the crystal gems and find a way to stop this machine that is going to destroy all organic life on earth in just under two days. Mm hmm. So let me see. Quick review. Positives about it. It's probably no surprise that I really like Spinel. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's designed like a really early rubber hose animated cartoon character. Yes. She even has she, there's a musical number that she sings, which even has that kind of horn heavy like old timey cartoon music to it. I think she has pie eyes too, doesn't she? She does when she oh before is reset. She, yeah, okay. Like the original version of Spinel does mm. have those. I, I noticed that too. Yeah. So I like her. I like getting to see what the gems are when they started. You know, like what does a brand new pearl look like or mm. or act like? You know, what is you know amethyst is basically was born premature and also somehow late. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's like she has no idea what's going like she has no idea what she's supposed to be doing. I really was interested in seeing like the origins of the crystal gems. Right. I so I quite enjoyed that. Um, and I liked, you know, there wasn't so much of a story of it per se. It was more like a showcase of that. Like this is what the gems were like. Mm -hmm. um, things I didn't like so much. This is a musical. Yeah. And it is a musical to its detriment because it is just nonstop, short, unmemorable songs that really break everything up. I timed it out. I went and watched the first 15 minutes and timed out the comparison of song to not song. Mm -hmm. And it's it doesn't go. It doesn't hit two minutes of either singing or not singing. It's just alternating back and forth between dialogue and song so fast that once it gets past Spinell's song, which is a great song. I love that song about her other friends. Mm -hmm. 
Once it gets past that, I don't remember another song in the cartoon. I think maybe Amethyst or Stephen and Amethyst sing one. Well, I remember not that I especially like it. I remember the uh, Diamonds, Let Us Adore You song. Yeah, yeah. It's a quick way you can get somebody caught up on storyline, right? Like, oh, yeah. lots of movies do this. You can have a musical number that establishes that Aladdin is a uh, sharp, quick rogue who steals to live without having mm-hmm. to show a whole bunch of scenes, you know, or have a whole bunch yeah. of back and forth dialogue. So, yeah. Yeah, the movie opens with a, like, white diamond, the ruler yeah. of the gems, basically giving a synopsis of the story of Steven Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I found the songs just, you know, after this, after Spinell's song, they were just completely unmemorable and they just keep coming and then s- coming and stopping so fast that it just didn't resonate at all. You know, deep Steve, uh, really uh, passionate Steven Universe fans tend to like all the songs and I mm. find the songs pretty hit and miss in the show. Some yeah. are real good and then other ones I think. Meh. Yes, agreed. Uh, I didn't, you know, I was on the fence about Steven because clearly the voice actor's voice has changed. Yep. And there was no way around that. So they just fast forwarded two years and said, Hey, he's 16 now. Mm -hmm. This version of Steven, I wasn't quite, he didn't seem right to me. Like I had, it was like, he was a whole new character. He's has a different voice. He's more mature. He has all his powers. It's, it's not Steven that we were watching for the last five seasons anymore. I wasn't quite on board with him. Now, I became on board with him in Steven Universe Future, hmm. maybe because that's, you know, now I know who his character is. And I won't spoil Future for you, mm-hmm. but I will say that the main conflict in that show is with himself. Okay. Um, Some real navel gazing, so to speak, for Steven Universe. Kind of. I think if I had to, I think I might say... It's part teenage hormones and part, you know, without spoiling a major plot point of Steven Universe, Steven's mother has two sides to her. Okay. And most of the series is Steven reconciling with the one side. Right. And future is kind of a bit of the other side coming out now. Oh, okay. Hmm. But anyway, that's that's future. The the other thing about the movie. Yeah. I found that it ended on kind of an anticlimax. Okay. Like they're, they're in such a panic to stop this machine that's going to destroy all organic life on Earth, except the gems. Mm-hmm. And like, oh no, we only have 41 hours. We have to stop this. We have to stop this. And then during the climactic battle, all of its poison is injected into the Earth all at once, ahead okay. of schedule. Oh no, it's all injected. Right. And, and then it's kind of like, oh, well, we can fix this. And yeah. then there's just a little, <laughs> little... M- throwaway montage at the end of the city going through a cleanup process right. and everything's fine. <laughs> like they they were so worried about what was going to happen and then it happens and they just go, eh. Yeah. It just happens. And, and they're, they're like, they're, they're, they're like winter roundup, winter roundup. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> they're more worried about Spinel. Oh, yeah. and that's the other thing. The number of times Spinell's rate, like in the end, not so mm. much at the beginning. At the beginning, there was no dealing with her because she was a new, you know, an unknown factor. But at the end, when they had kind of established a bit more of a rapport and understanding of Spinell, mm. the number of times that the whole situation could have been resolved if Stephen had just said, I want to be your friend. Yeah. And either he says something else 
or something interrupts before he can say anything. It happens like four times. The last time it happened, I literally went out loud and rolled my eyes because I couldn't believe it was happening again. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm... (laughs) It's been a while since I watched it, but I remember some things that are uh, kind of fun. Like, I liked that Garnet has a sort of callback to her two battles against Jasper. Hmm. Like, she has her crushing defeat, and then she has her comeback. And they, I feel that they kind of uh, are echo. It's an echo of her Jasper relationship. Um, and also, the end, <laughs> with its gratuitous... Uh, gym fan service where you just get to see every fusion you're curious about. Cause I, <laughs> I, I think they were uh, just, you know, from the perspective of, well, we might not make any more of this. So here it all is. Oh, that was in the end of the, that wasn't in the movie. Oh no, that was in the, oh yeah, that's right. That's in the, yeah. the last episode. Same, yes. same thing then, I guess. So it was, it was like, we might not be able to do more of this. So here. Here's your answers. This, this, this. <laughs> I mean, part of me was kind of like, are we going to get and and through through future as well? Part of me was like, are we going to get to see some fusions involving? I mean, Lapis is Lapis is kind of traumatized as far as fusion goes. Yeah. But like, are we going to see Peridot fuse? Hmm. Bismuth. Oh, by the way, they introduced three new gems over the course of the series. And okay. they are they are all present in future. So, OK. It still focuses on Stephen, Pearl, Garnet, and Amethyst, but also Peridot, Lapis, and Bismuth are quite around. In fact, something that I found kind of funny was, as I was watching it, every time I would watch the credits, I would see Shelby Rabara's name, who is the voice of Peridot. Mm -hmm. And for the first few episodes, I would kind of go, wait, was Peridot in that? And -hmm. then I started paying attention, like started to look out, like, is Peridot in this? No. But her name is still in the credits. And what I realized is, have you seen any of Future? No, I haven't. So it has a different theme song, which is based on the. Oh, OK. I get here it. we are in the future thing. Yeah. And at the very end, Peridot goes, Steven Universe Future. Uh, and okay. because of that, she gets a voice credit in every episode. <laughs> That's funny. It yeah. is funny. I, I was just imagining like uh, a show like Digimon, for example, that has such a wide plethora of characters that can all digivolve and maybe uh, digivolve through different ways that yeah. that's filled in by like a card game and a video game, <laughs> except in some cases, it's just sort of like, uh, you know, this character, when he does that, he just turns into one of those things instead. I imagine that if Steven universe were, uh, if it did have the merchandising power that I think it really should have had, no. It would it would have had something like that. It would have had a card game where it'd be like, oh, that's what happens when Pearl fuses with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There'd be a card that's like, you know, just to use an established example, Opal. And it's like an an extra big card that you lay on top of, like sideways on top of Amethyst and Pearl. It's like, now they're Opal ha- or something. I don't know. I guess. Oh, one of, yeah. <laughs> no, what? go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I think one of our assignments for next week is to find fan-made Steven Universe games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say one thing that I liked about, was it the movie? Hmm. Yeah, it was the movie. Um, there's a part. So Steven has a pet lion who has the ability to make portals. Yeah. Just, just go with it. Um, and they're trying to find Amethyst because she's wandered off. Because she's a mindless baby, basically. And... 
I like that there's a scene where they're they're jumping through all all these different places all around town, like Amethyst and then Amethyst, like all the like the donut place, the the arcade, all mm. of these places. And every time they went to one of these places in quick succession, um, Onion was in all of them. Yeah, that's funny. Onion is a little weirdo kid character who he's just a psychopath. <laughs> I, I like that that instance where I can't remember what it was exactly, but Stephen was talking about like regular humans, about everybody in in uh, Beach City being regular humans, and he he contradicts like, well, maybe not Onion. Yeah, yeah, because. <laughs> I, I mean, this show looks weird anyway, but Onion has no ears. That always struck me as weird. Well, yeah. And then his his father is very similar. Yeah. Uh, and his his mother, who has an Onion style haircut and is named Vidalia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his brother, Sour Cream. Oh, Sour Cream and Onion. I finally got that. I was, I was I kept thinking Sour Cream in terms of potato, like baked potato. And I'm like, where does Sour Cream fit into this Onion themed family? <laughs> It just hit me now. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that reminds me of one thing I wanted to ask about um, uh, about Star versus the Forces of Evil. Yeah, Kelly, the the uh, Muni resident. Actually, I, I don't know if she's she's a resident of Muni, but she she has, has that big mass of green hair. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, um, g- give me some more. Con- describe her, her a little her, bit more. Her boyfriend lives on her head. He's like an extension of her hair. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yes. I was yeah. I was wondering, does she look human? She's got a round face and no nose detailed in. So I'm wondering if she looks inhuman? Hmm. It's one of those things, you know, hard to know in a show like that. Yeah. <laughs> I tried Googling Star Kelly, and it's all telling me about... Uh, what happened to rap star R. Kelly in the past week? <laughs> star Kelly? Do you mean R. Kelly? Yeah. Okay. I remember her. She's from another dimension. Yeah, but does she look she's, like a human? She, she looks like a human, but she's a woolet. Yeah. I forgot about her. Yes. No, she's she looks human, but she is not a human or a human. She's from a different dimension. Yeah. I'm wondering okay. just from the, from the perspective of Marco took her to Earth. Would people think that she looked weird? Oh, you know what I mean? Hmm. 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 Yeah, she could probably pull it off. Yeah. Anyway, that's what yep. I watched. So I'm all caught up on Steven Universe and Steven Universe Future. Dust, dust. Uh, but since we're talking about movies, some some animated movie news came out this past week regarding Super Mario Brothers. It's shaking the Internet. Oh, boy. Shaking them with laughter, apparently. Oh, I... I've heard anger. I've heard both. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is this movie, it's from Illumination, right? Who did Despicable Me and uh, all those Dr. Seuss movies. Right. So, you know, you're going to get up in arms, but this is probably going to be a bad movie either way. (laughs) Well, who knows? Yeah. But I don't know. The the sheer, not, not specifically the people cast, but the characters have me kind of interested that, you know, this is a Mario movie that has Cranky Kong and Comic in it. Interesting. Well, Comic is kind of, he's been sort of established as Bowser's right-hand man, like in any sort of Mario game now, mm-hmm. there's usually, like in the ugh, the Paper Marios, you know, there's usually Comic doing some kind of thing. 
I, the one that I thought was really interesting was Spike. Right. Um, who is the, <laughs> the, the computer controlled enemy that you have to beat in the bonus games in Wrecking Crew. Heh, funny. Yeah. I, that'll be the origin of them, I guess. Maybe they're yeah, not plumbers. Maybe they're uh, <laughs> they're demolitions guys. I've seen that posited where they're, you know, they're just going through their demolition and palming or whatever at the beginning of the movie and then get transported to the Mushroom Kingdom at some point or whatever. But um, yeah, for, for anybody who hasn't heard, you know, Chris Pratt is Mario. I never remember who Chris Pat, Pratt is. I had to be reminded that he was Emmett in a Lego movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess he's also the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever. Yeah. Um, I saw an animation that somebody did where they had animated Mario saying the stuff that Emmett says at the beginning of the Lego movie. Okay. And they were doing it as a joke, but I thought it actually kind of worked. Like, I was like, okay, this for, I could actually see this as Mario's voice. It's just gruff enough. I guess. I mean, I'm sure he'll be charming. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting to do with Mario since... (laughs) Even in uh, Sunshine, he doesn't really talk. Not really, no. And Sunshine is the most dialogue-heavy Mario game, so... Yes. Yeah. Man, people who are... There are people who are annoyed that Charles Martinet is not doing Mario's voice. Yeah. And to them, I say, think about what you're asking for. Yeah, I don't even know if he can act. <laughs> well, right? think about, like, like, think about what Mario said. Okay, here we go. Wahoo! Now, think about him saying whole paragraphs... Come on, Luigi, we need to go to the, the, to the Koopa Castle to beat the Bowser. Like, that doesn't work. You need yeah. a stand, you need, that voice doesn't hold up for more than a woohoo. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He made that uh, educational game, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of like Legend of Zelda. I, it occurred to me as I watch uh, Link's interactions with people that mm. he doesn't say anything either. And that he just kind of like grunts or like he, he cluelessly smiles. And I imagine that being the truth of the game is that Link is like that. He's, he might be mute as far as anyone knows. And they just no, fill, in the, fill in the details for him. Like, oh, so you, you, you mean you want to know how to get to there? Or like, uh, you know, it's so just... I don't remember the details of it, but in, toward the end of Breath of the Wild, there is a document in um, Princess Zelda's castle Mm-hmm. That you find is like a beast of her diary or something that gives a reason why Link doesn't talk. Okay. Like there is a canonical explanation for why he barely talks. I don't remember what it is, but mm. I remember that it exists. My sister would know this. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so Anya, who else? Anya Taylor-Joy is Peach. I don't really know her. I guess she's in the Queen's Gambit. I know her as Bria in... Uh, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, but I couldn't place the voice. Um, yeah, well, same thing. Like, if you had to make Peach uh, video game faithful, she'd just be an airhead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie Day is Luigi. I guess he's in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, I can only... Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining it. Like, I, I'd love his voice. Uh, it'd be weird seeing it without his actual personage, which kind of <laughs> made me think that this should have been a live-action movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they tried that. It didn't go so well. Well, neither will this. <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least the live action movie will have some novelty, right? Yeah. No, I say that. And, you know, you get to the next one. I talk, said that Chris Pratt is charming. Jack Black is charming. However, 
I don't think people are as angry about Jack Black being Bowser. They're angry about Chris Pratt being Mario. Mm. Um, and one of the uh, strange fits there is Bowser usually has a growly low voice, which Jack Black has not. Mm, yeah. You can try. And, I don't know. <laughs> and again, I'd kind of like to see a live action Jack Black with some, <laughs> with a, like a feeble, like a worse like than the, Jim, like Jim Carrey in the Grinch. <laughs> no, 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 not even that good. Like to where we can still see his regular face, you know, but he's got the red hair and the horns and a big foam shell on his back. And oh he's, boy. and he's like <laughs> pumping his legs and jumping around, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the the power of his penis or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. That was the point in that, like, from the reactions that I've seen, that's kind of the point where a lot of people just went, "Okay, sure," and then yeah. came Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, where everyone just lost it again. That's funny. It is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Keegan Michael Key as uh, Toad. Which I saw it suggested somewhere that it might be a thing where he starts out talking like Toad and then clears his throat. Huh. Like where he's like, okay, Mario. <clears throat> Excuse me. Huh. What I meant was, okay, Mario, let's go over here. Like, eh, that's like the easiest joke in the world. So maybe they'll do it. But mm. yeah. yeah. And then there's somebody named Fred Arneson. Arneson. Wait. Oh, with an M. Ar Arm Armisen. Okay, Arneson is a friend of ours. Yeah. Um Arm Arn this guy Arm, yeah. is Cranky Kong. Um I did not know who this person was until I scoured his like filmography and finally saw something that I recognized. He is the Tiger Tar Splendib in Centaur World. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, hmm, that doesn't scream Cranky Kong at me. But I don't well, know, maybe he's in other stuff. He's well. He's from Saturday Night Live, and um, uh, what is it, Portlandia? Mm. Uh, he's funny. He's he's got a weird thing where he just kind of plays every ethnicity. <laughs> uh, he's like Scott Thompson, or uh, oh shoot, the guy that played Gandhi. Sure. Oh, anyway. uh, uh, oh man. I know I sprung this on you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I know the guy. I can't think of his name, but. Right. But he, yes. play, he, he plays every ethnicity you can imagine, too. Right. Right. Um, I don't I think he's funny. I've, I've been on this weird kick where I've been just letting Saturday Night Live clips play on auto autoplay. Hmm. He was on there a long time, so I get to see a lot of him. Ah. Yeah. He's pretty funny. Actually, a really funny thing. Uh, he's sort of a dry comedian in a way. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, well, sometimes anyway. And. You know, you know Charlene Yee, who does the voice of Ruby on Steven Universe, and she's in We Bear Bears, and oh right, yeah. Oh, that's I didn't make that connection. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. Uh, she's a weird comedian, also. Mm -hmm. So she does clips uh, of auditions for Saturday Night Live, but they're not good auditions, <laughs> right? <laughs> so she's she, she it's weird. She's simultaneously terrible at impressions, <laughs> but gets to the heart of them, right? <laughs> so, like, she does one. My favorite one, she does, um, uh, oh, crap. Boy, I'm, I'm worthless today. Uh, <laughs> Brad Garrett. Okay. You know, Hulk Hogan and yes. tons of voice, voices over the years. Uh, right. she, does, she does Brad Garrett where it's like, uh, um, <laughs> hey, 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 Ma, what, uh, what is Raven, the king of Sheba? 
<laughs> and then she does like a. I love that her impersonation of Brad Garrett includes the throw to commercial. Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. We'll be back after these messages. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's Fred, really funny considering what her actual voice is. Oh yes, yes. But like I say, it's a terrible impression, and yet at the same time, she just catches it. Like she she catches the cadence perfectly, even though mm-hmm. she misses the pitch entirely. Right. Um, well. Yeah, and and so Fred Armisen did like gave her counsel on how bad her uh, Saturday Night Live audition was. <laughs> but it's like this is a joke you know but given who he is i wonder if it's like layers like his counsel is a joke you know <laughs> <laughs> oh who can tell with comedians nowadays right right we're talking about super mario i think <laughs> i don't know it's hard to know until it comes out yeah but you know a lot of people i like so i think maybe they'll be funny despite the overall package yeah who knows? I don't know. Yeah, part of it's their physicality, though. So I don't know if I'm going to have as much fun with Chris Pratt or Charlie Day or Jack Black as just voices. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess this will be the kind of thing that you just view as like, OK, it's not the real Mario. Oh, that's the other thing is will it just be business as normal for Mario games where he'll just be back to like, you know, or. <laughs> Will Jack Black, like, will, will Bowser in future games sound more like Jack Black, you know? <laughs> you know like, Boy. <laughs> you know, kind of like uh, Marvel movies have infiltrated the comics and other things, you know, to where, mm. yeah. Well, I, I think people have more, I, I think people have more love for Mario now than they will after the movie comes out. Ha <laughs> Well, right. well, I shouldn't say that, but what I mean is like, you know, in 2023, when they make Super Mario Odyssey 2, they're going to go, oh, cool, Super Mario Odyssey 2. They're not going to go, oh, I hope Chris Pratt is in it. Have you seen Sonic? No. I haven't either, but people like it. And it was weird. It's like coming from it. I expected that people had no expectations for that movie. Mm. <laughs> and then the previews came out and they hated it. And then they spent like money and time rebuilding sonic and it's sort of like an underdog hero right where Mm. people i think were skewed to want to like it because (laughs) because they screwed up admitted it and spent so much time and because it's well it is an underdog i think it's like a small movie right in a way Mm. relatively speaking a small movie so i think this especially now the casting is going to come on with so much weight where even if it's better than the sonic movie people will hate it well I guess we'll find out in just over a year. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, enough of a that ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my Italian accent. <laughs> so let's talk about cartoons. Uh, I gave you a cartoon to watch. Why don't you tell us ab- about it? Oh, yeah. We got Muppet Babies. So the basics on Muppet Babies, it's inspired by a dream sequence from the movie Muppets Take Manhattan. And a cartoon was made with the idea that fan-favorite Muppet characters were all raised in the same nursery by a woman known only as Nanny. Maybe I even have to describe what Muppets are, right? <laughs> I mean, it's hard, I don't for, know. it's hard for me to think people listening to this podcast are under 30, most of them. But uh, Muppets, I think, I think yeah. everybody knows who Kermit the Frog is. Yeah, probably. They keep themselves uh, alive in the public eye. 
So anyway, the, these Muppet babies include Kermit, Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo, Animal, Rolf, Scooter, and original character Skeeter. And Bunsen, Honeydew, and Beaker visit occasionally for playdates. And luckily, that includes this episode. <laughs> so each week, their imaginations run wild, and that often integrates live-action footage, including from famous movies and television. <laughs> so I low-key would get excited for Muppet Babies on Saturday morning. You know, like, I, I watched everything, basically. I, <laughs> I would wake up at 5.30 to catch... Uh, the mighty Hercules and just, and just go to the end. <laughs> oh, so, so, but while I just watched whatever was on Muppet babies would be one that I'd gear up for. I don't think I would say like if somebody, somebody asked my favorite cartoons where I wouldn't have ever listed it, but I liked it better than others. And there was a period back in the day where they showed it back to back. They had a rerun episode and then they had a new episode. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the particular episode you gave me, is I Want My Muppet TV, the play on I Want My MTV. Which I did not get at the time because we didn't get MTV in Canada. Oh, yeah? You didn't get it from the Dire Straits video? I don't think I had seen it at that point. Ah, okay. Right, so this, this particular episode, we find the Muppet Babies, as usual, using their imagination. They ride around in a cardboard box, but they are pretending to be fishing on a boat on the lake. Animal throws a wrench into the fantasy by playing the role of a shark that upends their cardboard box. Which is just as well, because the interruption makes Gonzo realize that it's time for their favorite cartoon, Funny Freddy! Unfortunately, their TV is on the fritz and they can't watch Funny Freddy. Not even Bunsen Honeydew nor Beaker can fix it. Nanny comes in to take the TV away for repairs. When Fozzie volunteers to pose as a Funny Fozzie... Kermit evolves the idea to instead pretend to make various television programming. With the screen cut out from it, some paper cups added as control knobs, and a coat hanger as an antenna, they repurpose their box to be a television set, so they can watch or perform within it. Ralph starts with a dog food commercial, but Piggy tosses him out so her favorite, Kermit, can take a turn. True to his Sesame Street destiny, he chooses to be a news frog. <laughs> Uh, he tells some jokes uh, as a newscast, sort of like The Daily Show or Weekend Update, I guess. Yeah. And it leads to a remote segment with Piggy on the street. She's reporting on the newsworthy rumor that Fozzie actually told a funny joke. Then Kermit throws to Scooter, reading his weather report. But Animal realizes the hurricane weather with a vacuum on reverse, and it's enough to blow Scooter right out of the studio. That frees up the set for Bunsen and Beaker to do a commercial for anti-nightmare pajamas. First, its parachute is demonstrated for the event that you fall out of bed, but in the scenario, Beaker actually falls out of an airplane. Then he gets a chance to use the ghost-busting backpack to repel ghost dreams. And in this case, they incorporate footage of Slimer from the Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> this is something I actually really liked from the show. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, just right in the opening credit shows Kermit swinging away from the boulder in uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I should say. And it's funny. I, I, I wouldn't have liked it in other shows, but in this one, it's part of the thing that uh, made me like it, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like earlier on when they, they're fishing, 
they're pulling up live action shots of fish. Right, um, right. So uh, next in the thing, Skeeter and Piggy argue about what to do next. So Gonzo opportunistically uh, jumps in to do Weirdo Trek with real footage from Star Trek. Gonzo has pointed ears in this. For that matter, he's got ears at all, since he usually doesn't. I think he um, puts on a pair of fake, like, earmuffs. At, like, he's holding something right. that he puts on his head at the beginning of the sequence. Right, right. And he's posing as science officer Mr. Weirdo on the Starship Second Prize. Others <laughs> on the ship include Captain Kirkman, Dr. Dog Bones, and Helmsman Scooty. Uh, the ship is attacked by static Klingons. With alien antennae on their heads... Piggy, Fozzie, Bunsen, and Beaker are the Klingons. Kirkmit and Weirdo beam aboard the enemy ship to stop the attack with their blasters set to tickle. The point, however, is moot because the whole plot was for Piggy to get close to Kirkmit. Uh, again, as a little kid, I remember how clever I thought this was. <laughs> Static Klingons. Photon tomatoes. Yeah. So snappy. Yeah. It's a good parody. It's a good, dumb parody. It is dumb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like they're not they're not trying to make a clever parody. They're trying to make a little kid parody and it works. Hmm. It's kind of on brand, too, since uh, Gonzo was in uh, Pigs in Space. What was he? He was, Dar he was Darth something or other. Darth Weirdo? Was he that? No, oh, I don't even remember. I, d I don't remember his role in Pigs in Space. I just remember the pigs. Oh, it was Darth Vader, except it had Gonzo's nose at the mask. Was Darth Vader even a thing when the Muppet Show was on? Uh, it well, Mark Hamill was a guest on it, so I assume so. Oh right, yeah. Okay, you're right. Um, in fact, it was the thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, true. I guess I, I guess I always assumed that the the Muppet Show was earlier than it actually was. Well, still. <laughs> Before we were born, so there's that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, recent enough that it was on reruns all the time. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so at this point in the storyline, the rotten little twerp animal makes a mess as he does a commercial for dirt and mud. <laughs> <laughs> and afterward, Ralph come, coins the episode title, I Want My Muppet TV, when he proposes doing a music video. And the group does a song called TV Mania, which kind of criticizes overconsumption of television. Uh, it sort of is like a meeting point between Video Killed the Radio Star and the style of Whip It by Devo, don't you think? A little bit, yeah. It seemed like Gonzo was dressed as a rabbi, which, <laughs> which I sort of took as like, maybe this is a ZZ Top thing. I, I, I couldn't, I, it was so weird. I was like, why is he dressed like that? Hold on a sec. I'm researching something that's going to have a timely comeback. <laughs> ben Kingsley. Yeah, maybe he was played by Ben Kingsley. Huzzah! <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, then Piggy, take, Piggy takes a turn fantasizing that she's on the Johnny Carson show. Uh, after her interview, she recites a romantic and aggressive poem for Kermit. Fozzie tries to steal the spotlight with a, with a comedy routine, and ultimately leads, it leads to Pig, Piggy chasing the bear. Uh, at this point, Nanny is back with the repaired television set, but the Muppet Babies continue to make believe anyway. And there's a little bit. Uh, she 
pushes the television set uh, to the entry of the nursery. And I was wondering, how is she going to get that down the steps? <laughs> and they cut, they cut away and they cut back and it's down the steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the end of the credits, there's a tradition in Muppet Babies that Gonzo appears for more, but Animal uh, cuts him off and declares a need to go bye-bye. <laughs> in this case, he reaches out of the television screen to turn it off. <laughs> okay, so Muppet Babies. I'm like you. I, you know, it, it seems like such a childish concept that it's not the kind of thing that I would admit that I liked, even right. to myself to some extent. But mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching it. And now looking back on it, like w- when I rewatched this episode, mm-hmm. I was just flooded with how good this show is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all those live action parts put in all their imagination, all their like wholesome fun that they're having. The comedy of like the the in- interpolation of the, the live action stuff. It's it's all just top flight stuff. It's really good. Oh, you're with the daytime Emmys on this because I remember it just won every year. <laughs> uh, and it was weird. It was like a point of recognition because, you know, I guess more people watched award, award shows back in the day. Mm. And I would just be thinking, I don't know this. I don't know this. I don't know this. Hey, Muppet Babies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it, I want to talk a little about the look of the show. Yeah. Their designs, the Muppet Babies, they have large, most of them have large, round, close together eyes. Yeah. That are sort of like the Muppets imagined through the lens of Garfield. A little bit. I noticed something specific um, in the Weirdo Trek segment where Scooter would turn his head to talk to Kirk and like the pupils of his eyes, like you could see behind his glasses and there were no pupils there. Like his pupils were on the glasses like a Muppets (laughs) would be. Uh, yeah, and Bunsen Honeydew just has the glasses to denote his eyes, because I guess drawing them would have been really weird. Well, that's that's what the like, I think the Bunsen Honeydew Muppet just had like these little closed squints. I don't like, even think he had that. I'm not even sure he oh, did, right? You know what? You're maybe not. But like yeah. he had very minimal, if any, eyes. So yeah. this this design of the baby version is right in line with the adult version. I kind of feel like the anime. Well, the animation is decent, but mm. it's strangely static. Kind of, like I feel like they're not much more complex than the actual puppets of these characters. <laughs> they're they're sort of rigid in their forms, right? Yeah. Um, which really puts to mind. I was thinking as I watched um the first Muppets movie this year, mm. and I hadn't seen it since I was a little kid. And whenever I see the Muppets, I'm amazed at the level of characterization the puppeteers get out of them. Yeah. Like when I think that Piggy, Piggy doesn't have really anything that can change about her face except for, you know, the hand changing her mouth and nose. Right. Right. But her eyes are static. I'm, I'm amazed that Frank Oz can make her look angry, a love struck, can go through all these things with a pup, puppet that's got very little going with it. Right. Oh, they're tremendous puppets. One of my yeah. favorites is um, the classic little Muppet Show skit of the Manamana song. Yeah. And the, the Muppet, who's like this hairy, hippie looking guy with sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And he, he's trying to interrupt the song like Manamana. And, and, yeah. um, and there's one part where the, 
the two other singers are like shaking their heads at him like, no, no, this isn't working. And this Muppet blinks in confusion, but the sunglasses blink. Right. <laughs> like, like I, that's one of my favorite Muppet things ever. Just that they they had uh, rigged those sunglasses to be able to blink like eyes. It's tremendous. Mm. They just kind of squish, I think. Right. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I have an associate who's big on the Muppets. And he was going through the Muppets that kind of uh, irk him because their eyeballs are like on the surface of their head. <laughs> so the ones that don't really have like an eyelid, so you can see the eyeball from behind him and that kind of thing. Like you're mm. talking about <laughs> the, the weird mechanics of Scooter turning his head. Right, right. Oh, there's another design thing that I like for this, that the characters have various cute outfits. Yep. I especially like Kermit in his sailor suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rolf is just in a diaper and a bib. Yeah. So it's like Nanny was dressing all of them and got to him last and was just fed up. You know, like, well, it's like, right. it's something I noticed back in the day where each of them is wearing a different style of baby thing. Like, yeah. you know, like Fozzie has a onesie with a flap on the butt and, right. um, Gonzo has some overalls. Yeah. Skeeter, the the female version of Scooter has these pants that she's constantly pulling up. Right. Like, yeah, they just made like, what are all the different outfits that babies could possibly wear? And they just use that array here. <laughs> and and Ralph got the outfit of the tired mom. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is that Ralph doesn't really wear anything as a Muppet. Yeah. He's like the first Muppet too, right? One of the first. Yeah. He's uh, his timeline precedes Kermit. Does it? I mean, yeah, yeah. like, I, I think Kermit was in some like coffee commercials of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was prior. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, back to the cartoon, I guess. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, I feel bad for Fozzie because they just <laughs> they dump on him. <laughs> they any chance they get, they dump on him. Right. Like, <laughs> I feel that if they were talking, they'd call him in the room to insult him, right? <laughs> and the thing is, his jokes in this are not that bad in the context of the show. And yeah. especially, especially in the context of him being a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe they're holding him to too high a standard at his young age. <laughs> yeah. So there's a pretty good voice acting cast in this. Oh, yeah. Uh so one that I looked up right away, Rusi Taylor as Gonzo. Yep. Long career that includes Huey, Dewey, and Louie in the original DuckTales. Mm-hmm. She was sort of the modern voice of Minnie Mouse. Mm-hmm. She did Strawberry Shortcake. And mm-hmm. yeah, and you're waiting for me to get to Martin on The Simpsons. Uh, yeah. She's Martin and Sherry and Terry. Yeah. Uh, Birdie in the McDonaldland things. Right. Um, she was also one of my favorite things that she did just a little cameo. There's one episode of the reboot of DuckTales where right. Scrooge goes back in time and finds a young Donald and Della hmm. and Donald is Rusi Taylor doing the Huey, Dewey and Louie voice, mm-hmm. which I thought was a great touch. And one of the last roles she ever had. I like her as Gonzo, actually. Oh, yeah. Katie Lee uh, did Ralph. And she's also got an enduring career full of memorable stuff with lots of range, too. Mm-hmm. Includes uh, Sunny Gummy from Gummy Bears. Yep. 
Sheila in Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and Alex in Totally Spies. You it's know, amazing. Every, yeah, everybody's favorite totals, Totally Spy, I think. Like, you compare that to Rolf. Oh, yes. Like, yeah, that's an amazing performance, yeah. And Kermit is Frank Welker because... Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nanny is voiced by Barbara Billingsley, who was June Cleaver on Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also in the credits, Hank, the name Hank Sarian jumped out at me. I was thinking, like, where do I know this Sarian character? And I remembered uh, he... He rings a bell because he was heavily involved with Rude Dog and the Dweebs. <laughs> he was he was the everything on that show, like the voice director, writer, et cetera, producer. Right. Um, uh, he also did a lot of work on Dungeons and Dragons. Huh. So there's that again. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm not as high on Muppet Babies now as you are. No mention uh, of Howie Mandel. Uh, no, I skipped him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's weird that I didn't realize until way later that Howie Mandel was doing the voice of Skeeter when there was literally a cartoon on at the same time with Howie Mandel saying, this is the voice I do. Right. Like, it's like he couldn't have. He's the only voice actor who was like, I am the one who does the voice that sounds like this. And yet it didn't click for me until years later. Well, un until uh, I hadn't mentioned Dave Coulier and I mentioned him in another episode yeah. <laughs> of Animation Celery. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was a good time revisiting this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we all have to grow up. So why don't we fast forward to nine and three quarters old? OK, so this is a show that I was I think I had some bare awareness existed, but no real insight into it called the mighty bee. This is created by Amy Poehler, who is a, you know, she's pretty famous. She's a Saturday night live alumni. If I'm not mistaken, she's in parks and recreation. Mm. Um, she in animation terms, she would be known as joy in inside out. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. She was also uh, the mayor's wife in the movie adaptation of Horton. Here's a who. Um, <laughs> in this, she plays Bessie Higginbottom, who is a honeybee scout. And she is convinced that if she gets every single badge and there's like 4,000 of them or something, she will become a superhero called the mighty bee. Hmm. Also in her life are, her brother, Ben, who is played by Andy Richter, uh, their dog, Happy. There's their mom. She has there are other scout troops, her friend Penny. There's the stuck up girl, Portia, whose mom is the is Miss Gibbons, Mrs. Gibbons, who is the uh, troop leader. Uh, hmm. There's Gwen, another girl who kind of does whatever Portia says. And yeah, it's basically the concept is Bessie taking being a honeybee scout really seriously and wanting to get them badges. Yeah. So they got, and this is one of those cartoons where they are two parters. And the first part of this one, actually the version that I saw had them in reverse order. Weird. So, so I had to keep looking like, cause you kept doing it in this order. Right. I was like, are you sure that's right? And I looked it up and it turns out it is. So what I saw was wrong. So 
doing them backwards. The first okay. one is called something's wrong with this taffy. And so as we know, no Girl Scout troop anywhere is complete without confections to sell. And for the honeybee scouts, it's taffy that they sell and it's taffy selling season. And the shipments of taffy are arriving at each scout's home and Bessie and Penny are happily to dive in and sample the wares that they're about to sell. Seems like something Bessie wouldn't do, but eh. um, maybe she's going to pay for it. Probably. But as soon as she puts the stuff in her mouth, Bessie is immediately stricken by the sense that the taffy doesn't taste the same. And she does a little survey. She asks Penny. She asks Happy. She asks Mrs. Gibbons. But everyone just says, no, it tastes the same. Bessie's still not convinced. She conducts a series of tests. She looks at them. She tests stretchiness, all of the, everything. Everything is exactly the same, except only she thinks that it tastes different. And she's, she's concerned about selling substandard taffy. And so the obsessive bee goes to the taffy factory in town, where the manager asserts that nothing about the taffy making process has changed. He tries to satisfy Bessie with a quick perfunctory factory tour, but there's one ominous door he won't let Bessie see inside. Bessie is still worried, and with no other recourse, she steals out in the middle of the night to take all the taffy from all the bees' houses, like a reverse Santa Claus or a... Grinch. Yeah. Forward motion Grinch, yes. Yeah. Then she sneaks into the factory, and she sneaks into the secret room where workers are working in secret. The more in the morning, the, the scouts are shocked to find all their taffy with replaced with recall notices. But Mrs. Gibbons lets them know that they are going to the factory to pick up an emergency restock. And as they're arriving, Beth's Bethy, Bessie, hmm. finally <laughs> with hmm? her speech, with her speech impediment, she would be Bethy, though, wouldn't she? We'll get to Bethy. That. Yeah. As they're arriving, Bessie finally learns the truth. That this year, instead of using real honey, they're using artificial honey. The scouts are shocked, but the manager explains that real honey isn't as profitable anymore. But just then, the president of the honeybees, Miriam Breedlove, shows up. She has been alerted by Bessie's myriad panicked communiques that something's wrong with this taffy. She brings down the edict that quality will not be sacrificed and the substandard taffy must be eliminated. And to this end, Bessie is made head taffy inspector. So that's part one. Mm -hmm. Let's go to part two. Part two is right. called Name Shame. And this episode starts with her brother Ben singing along to the jingle from a toilet cake commercial. Remember that. That's going to be important later. Mm. Okay. So Bessie receives some labels with her name on them in the mail, and she is appalled to see that they list her middle initial, K. She destroys the stickers, but one manages to get away and into the hands of the stuck-up girl, Portia. Portia is fascinated to know what Bessie's middle name is, but Bessie won't tell. Portia and her servant Gwen then embark on a quest to do whatever it takes to find the middle name, but no one close to Bessie is willing to give up the goods until they finally come to Bessie's mother. She is happy to explain that the K stands for Kajolica, uh, a word 
a word written in the sand by a New Mexican medicine man just before Bessie was born. Portia and Gwen find this name hilarious and can't resist mocking Bessie for it until Portia's hair falls out and the wallpaper attacks Gwen. And that's when Bessie and Ben explain that they discovered some time ago that Bessie's middle name is cursed and tragedy will instantly befall anyone who says it. Unfortunately, Portia has already sent news of Bessie's middle name to everyone in town. And everyone is amused by the name and can't resist saying it aloud. And soon the city is a wasteland of mishaps. Bessie and Ben attempt to seal everyone's mouth with tape and socks, but there's only so much they can do. And just as all hope is lost, the Chekhov's gun slash running gag that's been going through this episode from the beginning re-emerges as Ben starts singing the toilet cake jingle again. And it's so catchy, it sticks in people's heads. So they... They go around town singing this jingle and getting everybody to just become obsessed with it. And it pushes the middle name out of their head. So everyone just forgets the word Kajolica. Now, it's funny. I think Name Shame is the worst episode of these two. Okay. Uh, However, (laughs) for some reason, I have a lot to say about it. Okay. Um, so one of the things is, I guess, Hillary, uh, Bessie and Ben's mom must be immune to curses because she says it and leaves without it, without any kind of uh, repercussion. I was sort of noticing that, too. It's like when she said it, some like flowers kind of appeared around her and then instantly died. But yeah. but she avoided any real mishap. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, there are times when B goes into her super form. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, I mean, Mighty B doesn't care about these kinds of things, but she she goes into her hypermuscular B form in order to fly around, shove socks in people's mouth, and then uh, with the packing tape dispenser, do a cross a cross seal on their mouth. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, oh, in this episode, I guess that's real. That's <laughs> something she can do. <laughs> this, hmm. This cartoon probably reminded me of Ren and Stimpy more than any cartoon I have seen since Ren and Stimpy. Yes. You know, it's kind of like that era of of Gendy or Gendy, Gendy Tartakovsky mm. and Butch, Butch Hartman era cartoons that it's that kind of cartoon, but it's carrying the Ren and Stimpy germ. Well, it's one of one of the um, the producers of it and um, involved in the production is Eric Weiss who mm-hmm. worked with John Chris Falusi. So right. very influence, very solid influence there. It's not as dark or mean as Ren and Stimpy though. No, but just the, like the character designs, the way that they move, the animation of it, like the, the backgrounds, yeah. like it really looks, it looks and acts a lot like Ren and Stimpy. If the writing is not Ren and Stimpy style. From the straight up cartoony to the utterly gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned Bessie's speech impediment. Yep. He does the thing where he talks like this, Mm -hmm. which is my most hated trope in (laughs) cartoons. I'd forgotten to, but it makes it all the sweeter. (laughs) Like, you know, between the, between the Ren and Stimpy style of animation and that speech impediment, I don't know if you could have picked 
a cartoon that would repel me more. <laughs> now that now that said, <laughs> yeah, I really like the idea of yeah. a you know like the 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 primary girl in the show is kind of a dork. Yes. Um I love the idea, the concept of like her whole world revolves around being a scout. Like well, I that's think something yeah, that's something I like in Amy Poehler that she likes these kinds of characters that are dorks and they're they're oppressively passionate about something. That's why yeah. they're a dork. Yeah. yeah. And I like that. I like it too. Um, I like Amy Poehler's voice, except whenever she's not pronouncing the letter S. Okay. Like, I really liked her voice. Like, I, I yeah. really enjoyed listening to Bessie say other things. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, uh, what else? What else? So uh, on this related to that speech thing, there's only one version of that speech impediment I have ever heard that I liked. And I actually thought mm-hmm. it was quite charming, which was a character in the aforementioned Horton Here's a Who. Okay. And I went and looked it up and I, I looked at the cast very briefly and I was like, oh, secretary played by Nicey Nash. And hey, Nicey Nash is uh, Miriam Breedlove in this episode. That's weird how that happens, but, right? But wait. Yeah. That wasn't. <laughs> Amy Poehler was in Horton's Here's a Who and Nicey Nash was in Horton's Here's a Who. But yes. neither one of them was the character I was thinking of. The character oh, yeah. I was thinking of was a scientist named Dr. LaRue. I think it's Betty Lou LaRue, uh, who's played by an Australian actress named Isla Fisher. Okay. So it was just this weird circle of like the, everybody I thought did the, or the, the one version of that speech impediment that I liked was like mm-hmm. everybody who was didn't didn't do that voice is in this if that makes uh, sense yeah. yes <laughs> like i said it's weird how that happens right yeah, where yeah. you follow the, the person who did that style of voice worked with someone else who did that style of voice and the other thing that they're both in yeah 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 you know yeah weird i noticed i i'm sure that this is mentioned in greater detail in other episodes but there's a scout of boy or a troop of boy scouts as well Yes. Uh, beavers. Yep. I find this amusing because beavers are actually the lowest level of scout here in Canada. Legitimately. Maybe an accident. I don't know. In this, in like, this well, thing. oh, yeah, I'm sure it was an accident. But it's just weird. Like, you'd think they had a like, like I was a beaver. I hated it, but I was a beaver. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's yeah. weird that they I mean, I wonder if they got some kind of like special permission from scouts of Canada to use that name or something pretty sure they couldn't like <laughs> trademark beavers but well, no. uh, you know actually it sort of fits with them because in, in other episodes they're regarded as majorly less than <laughs> there's there's an episode where they have like a sports day competition and the bees uh take it for granted that they're going to demolish the beavers mm. <laughs> and of course they they ruin their chances they, they get addicted to a video game and don't practice and don't sleep <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes sense if you're thinking like we're naming these scouts after busy animals. So you think of yeah. animals that are traditionally known as busy. It's bees and beavers. You're talking about those other episodes. I, I watched quite a few because 
sometimes this uh, sometimes animation celery is just an excuse for me to watch something <laughs> and i'd always kind of liked mighty b but you know we didn't get nickelodeon at the time here in canada so yeah uh you know i, I wanted to check this out and in giving you an episode at the time i thought i was having to give two episodes i didn't want to overload you with these split episodes so i watched a whole bunch of them <laughs> um there's one the climax of season one is a full-length episode. Okay. Uh, and it kind of works on the premise that there's a whole lot of different scout types. So it's the the, the antagonists are the dragonflies. Oh. But, yeah, they go all over town and run into other scout troops. Yeah, I, I like the show, but I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, part of it, like you said, you like the premise, as I do, that she is this enthusiastic kid. And there's some things that ring so true to me, right? Like, I like that this that she has a friend that is a happy face drawn on her finger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's cute. Uh, I don't like it so much that a lot of these shows are just wacky like name shame. You know, that's mm. just a straight up cartoon. I wish there was more uh, like veracity and sort of what it is to be a kid, that kind of stuff in this show. Mm, yeah. Which is funny because I hate that in other shows like, you know, like Doug and stuff like that. <laughs> but I feel like the lens and then, you know, it would still be wacky. Like she would still deform and do funny animations. But uh, I, I that's why I like the something's wrong with this taffy because it's a little less weird, mm. more grounded. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. For me, I'm thinking, you know, the voice the voice is hit or miss. It's got the one quirk about it that I don't like, but I like the rest of the voice. Um, it looks like every other cartoon from this era. This is like 2010. And, yeah. and I, you know, the vision, like the character design and stuff like it, it looks very much like, you know, fairly odd parents or. Okay. Hmm? Yeah. But Bessie stands out to me. She makes me laugh when she's on screen. I like her round head and I like her limp ponytail. Yeah. Those are funny. <laughs> those are funny. Yes. It's a, and she, She's animated funny too. Like I like when she's crouching beneath the uh, the lab coat mm. when she's sneaking in there. there. Um there are some yeah, there's some good like I think a lot of the like the wild takes and the yes. animation style is just so reminiscent of Ren and Stimpy that I can't unsee it. So th right. there's a lot of this that looks kind of generic and right. there's you know the voice acting is fine except for the one little like i portia has one of the better stuck up girl voices i've heard yeah um it's hard for me to describe but like she she has that sort of like uh i'm trying to think of a, yeah. a parallel but like she it's one of the better versions of that voice that i've heard um there are things to like in this show but like okay. i get you know maybe it's because i'm a 43 year old man but mm. It just kind of didn't resonate enough that I don't think I'm going to go watch more of it. Hmm. But like, you know, I'm glad somebody made this concept. Like, I like the idea. I like the idea of, you know, this this girl's life is being a scout. It was apparently popular, I think. Like, I think it, it seemed like it was. And it won an Emmy. I think that it's because it was in an era where cartoons were a desert. Right. Like I said, they were all like Doug and Hey Arnold and stuff. Adventure Time had just started. It hadn't quite picked up mm. its steam yet. My Little Pony, I think, might have started halfway through the Mighty Bee. Mm. 
Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it is in a bit of a wasteland. Um, but in that wasteland, there's also this. It's kind of a wasteland because nothing stands out. Like there's lots of things that were being tried, but none of right. them really worked. It wasn't mm-hmm. until you started to get the really big hitters like My Little Pony and Adventure Time, and then later, you know, your uh, Steven Universe and Star versus the Force of Evil to some extent. Gravity Falls. Um, yeah. This was just before the kind of cartoon renaissance of the 2010s. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I didn't like, and uh, it was Andy Richter's voice as Ben that I didn't really much like in this. I didn't even realize it was him. I didn't know it until I saw the credits, and I was like, oh, that was Andy Richter? Huh. I didn't either, and I think his real-life voice would have suited a little boy better <laughs> than what he tried to do here. I don't remember um, that voice at all. <laughs> they have a connection, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Amy Poehler used to, before Saturday Night Live, she would act on Conan. She'd fill roles, and one of them was as Andy's little sister. Oh. And the joke always was, like, she, 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 she's small, right? So mm. she, play, she can play it convincingly, and she's got uh, uh, braces with the whole headgear. <laughs> and Andy reveals that she has a crush on Conan, and then they, like, show pictures of, like, shrines she's made to Conan. <laughs> but the thing is that she flips on a switch... And goes berserk and screams like <laughs> about hellfire and stuff and <laughs> ends up ends up running down the stairs and tackling Andy and knocking the chair over every uh, every sketch. So <laughs> I guess that they had a lot of connection working together and that's yeah. why he was summoned for this. Um, By all accounts, uh, Amy Poehler is very funny. Like I haven't oh, really yeah, watched like Park and Recreation, so I couldn't say. Um, well, I, she I, said... Hmm? She, she's that archetype I was telling you about where she, she, she's a dork, but she's like passionate about government. That's why she's a dork. I really liked her in inside out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I said, I really like her voice here, except for the speech impediment. Um, so yeah, good job for her for, I guess, making a, sh- I mean, she might be the best part of this show, even with the speech impediment. I don't like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah. So I don't know. The- Actually, there's one other thing I want to touch on here. Right. And it's the the mom designs. Oh, yeah. For Hillary Higginbottom and B leader Mrs. Gibbons. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but there was like a switch turned. Like moms always used to be boring. And I think in this show and maybe other shows, like there's the, the designers push themselves to make these moms look funny. Mm. Right. And I think H- Hillary Higginbottom comes out better. But she's an interesting design anyway. I like looking at her when she's on there. She's but big. She's got her hairs are like in kind of like dreadlocks that are tied back in a ponytail. She's got a tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's got her her design on its own has personality. Mm-hmm. And the bee leader, Mrs. Gibbons, she has this weird. Th- well, first of all, she has this pouch that, uh, of that her pants are like around her midriff. They, oh, yeah. they balloon outward. It looks pretty funny. Gigantic hips. Uh, Hips, Maybe? hips to rival honeybee's butt. Oh, yeah. Ah, it's the bee connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, her head is weird. Yes. The, the front of her head is like a flat profile. Yeah. And then it rather, it's like her jaw sticks out in the wrong direction. Yes. You know, like it comes out from her neck. She, the weirdness of her head rivals Mr. Crocker from Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he's got the ear sticking out of his neck. Mm, yeah. Very weird profile, I but it's that funny. I too, yeah. 
<laughs> but that's you know that's kind of the par for course for character design in this era you know just yes yes yeah if, if strong silhouettes are your thing <laughs> then then you'll make the silhouette that's like not matched by anything else <laughs> yeah anyway uh, yeah i keep on dragging out <laughs> the mighty v but yeah as you say yeah so not i something think you'll look at again i think muppet babies is the winner this week uh I get more out of Mighty B, but like I said, it's not as good as I'd hoped. Okay. Still pretty funny. Yeah. Right. Uh, so let's have a look at next week. Mm, calendar. Um, calendar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On the calendar, it's going to be Thanksgiving. Uh, that is to say Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah. Canada has a different Thanksgiving than America. Ours is in October. So I guess if you're in America, just... Um, Save the podcast and then watch it. Listen to it in a month. No, listen to it but, again in a month. Listen, oh, listen right, to it next right. week for sure. But then listen to it again in like November or whenever. Oh, right. dang. I forgot. What that? The most important thing in this whole episode. What that? The wrestling update. So on Sunday <laughs> uh, at Extreme Rules, WWE champion Roman or Universal champion, I should say, Roman Reigns defeated the demon Finn Balor when the top rope accidentally broke, uh, thus setting up his title defense in Saudi Arabia at Crown Jewel against Brock Lesnar. All right. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like old days. Yeah. OK, so we're talking about Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. All right. So. For you, Matsy, mm. I have an episode of The Real Ghostbusters. Ooh. The Revenge of Murray the Mantis. Okay. You know what? We got a theme. Oh, do we? We got a theme. Okay. Because I got an episode of the animated Pac-Man series. Ah, the okay. original Ghostbuster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, except for the original Ghostbusters. The ghosts are afraid of him. Well, they can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got it. This is one of those shows that's in two parts. Mm. Um, and the first part is called Pack Van Winkle. <laughs> okay. And the second part is called Pack's Giving. Nice. This will be easy to find okay. because it's the last episode of the series. Oh, it's the swan song. Yeah. All right. So that's what you guys can look at forward to next week. The real Ghostbusters and Pac-Man. <laughs> so in the meanwhile, let us know what you think and what you want for us to watch. In fact, we'll be looking at a stalker request in a couple weeks from now. Yeah, teaser. Mm -hmm. You can reach me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. I am AC Matsy on Twitter, and I'd like to thank you all for sharing Animation Celery wherever you do. I don't know who did what, but we got a, the, the episode before last got this huge spike in downloads one day. The one where we were talking about like Homestar Runner and Toon C and like, I don't know yeah. why, but that is now the second most downloaded episode we've ever done. And most of those downloads were in one day. It might have been hashtag power, like we tweeted and hashtagged, like all, all of Toonsie's fans are Homestar's fans oh, or something. Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. But anyway, thank you for that. Uh, we really appreciate it. So I'm AC Matsy on Twitter. It's Thanksgiving. And, well, it won't be. It's the Seller Stalker slogan. Take the cake. 
Wash your mate. Blue Lake River toilet cakes. Fresh and clean.